Well, good morning again. Thank you guys for those gifts. It is, as I said earlier, uh, a privilege to serve. And um, yeah, it's not done for recognition, but it's definitely appreciated when, uh, for all of us when somebody says thank you, and I do appreciate that. So thank you so much for those gifts. And it is my joy to serve as your lead pastor here, uh, even through these uh, trying months even that we've been through as a congregation. Uh, and um, yeah, and just... Remembering each Sunday that though the world around us is transforming and changing at rapid speeds, um, the gospel is the same forever and ever and ever and ever. And that is why we gather. And that's what we're going to celebrate this morning. And anytime we can uh, enjoy hearing the testimony of an individual, which we will in a moment, and come together as a church, it is an absolutely wonderful morning to celebrate. And so I hope there is joy in this room this morning because we get to do just that. And I'll be so glad our kids are going to come back into service in a little bit to see it. And um, as we think about why we'd have our kids come back into service or why we would uh, have them here, why we're all here doing this together, a couple reasons. One, our kids are part of the church now. So as they come back in for baptism today, we want them to understand that they are part of watching uh, something that they're, they're a part of now, part of the church the second thing we hope is that each and every one of our kids someday will make a real profession of faith, uh, just like those uh, we're going to see baptized this morning in a bit. Parents, as they come back in, uh, I encourage you today, or grandparents, I encourage you today to talk with your children today about what they witnessed. Whether you've got elementary kids up to teenage kids um, who maybe haven't been baptized yet, talk to them today about that as they see this and help them understand what baptism is. I had a funny comment this week. I don't remember who said it, but they said, do you go in church on Saturday night and like make use of the hot tub that's sitting there? (laughs) Yes, I actually do. Uh, No, I don't. uh, But (laughs) it's kind of funny. It was a funny thought. Uh, But um, no cold water here this morning. Our participants are going to be grateful when they get up here to see that um, it's warm, which is awesome. Well, who are our two candidates this morning? We've got this morning Genevieve Buss. And Noah Grover, who are going to be coming up. Sure, yeah. They're going to be coming up in a little bit. And I told them both that this congregation is rooting for you this morning. They are entirely behind you uh, and with you. Uh, And I know they have some family here today as well, and their parents and and siblings, and they're all excited for them. But first, I want to talk for just about a few minutes about uh, baptism. And I want to hit four baptism truths really quickly. Because it's important to know what we're doing and why we're doing this today. And here they are. We're going to talk about the signification, the sign post of baptism, the identification, the proclamation, and the celebration that's taking place today. Baptism Sundays are great training days for our congregation. We get to talk about why we're doing what we are doing and why we do certain things at church. I'm a big proponent of the why the why behind something, why we do it. We need to have an answer behind why we do things like covenant membership, public reading of scripture, reading and saying the Apostles' Creed, uh, baptism, Lord's Lord's Supper, youth ministry, Sunday school, covenant membership, all those things, why we do them. That's important. It matters. And the first simple why behind baptism is that Christ commanded us to do it. Matthew 28 says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We have to have the why. 
Because if there's no why, then why do it, right? Then what's the point? Tradition's sake for just tradition isn't, isn't really meaningful. Tradition with some why behind it absolutely matters. And this is why, first and foremost, Jesus commands us to do it. But let's grab our outline. Hopefully you got it there. Open your Bible to Romans 6. We're going to read a few verses. And then we're going to look at our first of the four truths together as we make our way through this today. Romans 6, right after the Gospels and Acts there. Romans 6, verses 1 to 14. Let's read them to listen along as I read them. What shall we say then? After Paul's talking about this new life we have in Christ that he's given us, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we'd no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who's died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Here's our first truth this morning, and it comes right out of this passage, Romans 6. The baptism is a signification of the application of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a signification or a sign that the gospel has been applied to a life. A sign uh, uh, signifies or points to uh, the probable presence of something else, an underlying reality. That's what a sign does. The sign of thunder points to the probable presence of a storm, right? Or if you've got a fever, right, it points to the probable presence of being ill or sick. Or a smile on somebody's face, it's a sign that there's probably, potentially, some joy or happiness in the heart of that person. So what's the sign of baptism pointing to? It's pointing to the probable reality that that person has placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ. That is the signification. That's the sign. The gospel has been applied to the person, to the heart of that person. This person has, in other words, we would say, been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Born again is another term. Ezekiel wrote about this long before Christ ever came and spoke to Nicodemus about being born again. He said, I will give you a new heart, speaking prophetically for God, and I will put a new spirit in you, within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
Ezekiel spoke of this, as I said, long before Jesus ever did. And I think this idea of regeneration, this idea of born again has, has been, I think, lost in the church a little bit, overlooked a little bit. You are either born again or you are not. It's fairly plain that Jesus, as he teaches in John 3 and Ezekiel here, you've either been given a new heart here by the Holy Spirit, a heart that's spiritually alive, not spiritually dead, a heart that's able to believe and to love the things of God, or you do not. Regeneration, born again. There's no half dead or half alive heart. It's either one or the other. I was reading this morning, preparing for this morning, and went to an old prayer book, uh, Puritan prayer book. And I just happened to open where my, where my yellow tab was already in it. And it was a prayer on regeneration. Listen to a few of these words and, and how, it's a little bit of old language, but you'll, you'll understand it. And, and think about, do we think, do I think this deeply about my born-again state? Listen to some of these words. O God of the highest heaven, occupy the throne of my heart. Take full possession and reign supreme. Lay low every rebel lust. Let no vile passion resist thy holy war. Manifest thy mighty power and make me thine forever. Thou art worthy to be praised with my every breath. Loved with every faculty of soul. Served with every act of life. Thou hast loved me, espoused me, received me, purchased me, washed, favored, clothed, adorned me. When I was worthless, vile, soiled, polluted. I was dead in iniquities, having no eyes to see thee, no ears to hear thee, no taste to relish thy joys, no intelligence to know thee. But thy spirit has quickened, that means brought alive, me. Has brought me into a new world as a new creature, has given me spiritual perception, has opened to me thy word as light, guide, solace, joy. Thy presence is to me a treasure of unending peace. No provocation can part me from thy sympathy. Thou hast drawn me with cords of love and dost forgive me daily, hourly. Oh, help me then to walk worthy of thy love. That is some deep, heartfelt language about being born again. And through the process of working with our candidates and the family, and the church, we attempt to discern that. And baptism points to that sign of the application of being born again, the gospel to a heart. It's also a sign of the faith and union of Christ that the individual has. Looking down at your notes there underneath that first point is those Romans verses again. Baptism is that sign of the gospel's application to the individual. This person has turned from sin and has been united Wed, espoused, the Puritan wrote, by faith to Christ. But it doesn't just function as a sign of internal faith. It also functions as a sign of what Christ has actually done. Think of being buried into the, the, the ground and coming alive and raising again, which the New Testament speaks will happen to all those who are in Christ. Baptism is a sign that points to the individual's death with Christ and resurrection with Christ. We dunk someone under the water because Christ was put into the ground or to the, into the tomb. We bring them up out of the water as Christ resurrected and came back 
to life. And baptism is a sign of all those benefits that this person has received in Christ. A sign of what Christ has done. Through faith in Christ is a picture, too, that our sins have been washed away, which obviously baptism pictures. It's like a tub, isn't it? It's like getting a cleansing bath, cleansing water. Peter said in Acts, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. It portrays the washing away of sin. One of the things I've learned living in the Pacific Northwest is that you need a good power washer. (laughs) With all the rain and dirt and moss and grime that grows on stuff, you need a good power washer. And when you use it, you realize after a year or two, I didn't realize it was that color. (laughs) You just see that again. It washes it away. Baptism is a picture of the power washing of Christ on a life. That's what it points to. As he takes away, he washes away sin from our lives positionally in what we call justification, but also actually in what we call sanctification. A one time as they were saved, but ongoing then, cleansing them throughout their life. It's the application of the gospel, our first truth. Let's look at our second, an identification. Psychology Today defines identity. I was looking at a website this week this way. They say identity is this. There's a quote. It encompasses the memories, experiences, relationships, and values that create one's sense of self. This amalgamation creates a steady sense of who one is over time, even as new facets are developed and incorporated into one's identity. Today, identity is a really popular buzzword. Think identity politics. You have gender identity, sexual identity, political identity. And, and I think even reading the Psychology Today definition, there's, there's some truth in that, that we are made up of, yes, our memories, our experiences in life, our relationships and the things we value. Of course, they make up who we are. But if that's all that defines you, that's not very hopeful. Because a lot of my memories, a lot of my experiences, they aren't that great, are they? And a lot of my relationships at times have been strained. It's all that that defines you. That's not very hopeful. And my values, I have failed my own values and standards many times that I've held for others very highly and, and clearly. I've failed those. I have a fractured sense of self at best apart from my creator. And so do you too. Because every one of those things, every one of those identifying benchmarks will ultimately disappear and fail me. And you. Think about that. All the ways we identify ourselves. I'm a parent. I'm a worker. I'm an American. I'm a Beavers fan. I'm a hunter. I'm a grandma. I'm a crafter. I'm a builder. I'm a best friend. I'm a husband. I'm a wife. All of those identities will disappear at some point in life. Or the person on the other side of that identifying relationship will disappear too, as many of you have experienced. Baptism points to the one identity you need. The one identity that will never disappear at any point in your life or into all eternity. It's identity in Christ. 
We got to find, we have to find our primary self, our primary values, our primary relationship being the one in Christ. Look down at Galatians 3 there on your outline. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. I'm going to grab one real quick. Thanks. It says this. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For you all were baptized into Christ Jesus, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus and you belong to Christ. Listen to that language there. In Christ, into Christ, clothed with Christ, one with Christ, belong to Christ. That means our baptism candidates today, you no longer can find your truest self in any other thing. Your identity, our identity is in Jesus Christ. We identify with Christ. But also in baptism with his people. With his people. Paul says in the passage, we are one in Christ, that Christ has broken down our differences. It doesn't mean they're not there. It doesn't mean that male and female cease to exist or slave or free at that time. But it means that we are reconciled to one another in Christ and those differences shouldn't matter. This is so important because in baptism, you guys are not only committing yourself to Jesus, but to his people as well. Those that sit around you, maybe it's your parents or a friend, those who sit in front and behind you and in this room. To love Jesus, baptism means, is to love his bride, to love his people. It means to love a local church, to be part of a local church, to be a member of Jesus's family means the rest of the family comes with it, even the crazy aunts and uncles. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, actually, is what we call each other. It's like you're putting on the team jersey. Like our t-shirt that our baptism candidates participants are wearing that uh, Caitlin designed for us. It's like you've joined the death to life team. It's not just you. This is the people of God. You're joining the death to life team. There is no living the Christian life out there on your own. It's either with the people of God or not. There's there's no in-between. That's for all of us today. So a Christian who would say, I'm a Christian who is not a part of a local body or a local church or does not have a desire to be a part of a local body, it's an oxymoron. It It makes no sense. The New Testament knows nothing of it. It would be absolutely foreign. In fact, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Jesus, and all of them would say, are you sure about your faith? That's how important the the identification is with Jesus and his body. So our second truth is the identity. Here's the third. The third is baptism is a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by both the church and the individual. It's a proclamation. But it's a proclamation by two parties, not just one, Two parties, to each other and to the world. First, it's this. First, it's a proclamation by the church. The church is called to affirm the best they can the validity of an individual's faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
You know how we know this? Because every one of you knows you can't baptize yourself, can you? Can you do that? Or let's say you're in the local pool uh, at the Canby Swim Center there, and you're just having free swim, and a buddy came up behind you and kind of pushed you under the water and said, now you're baptized, right? No, you would know, you would know that that doesn't feel right. There's something not right about that. Here's what it is. Here's what would be wrong with that picture and why we so desperately need this. In our day of individualism, in our day of even informality, you might say, we have so downplayed the significance of the local church's role in this and the leadership of the local church in baptism. In Acts 8, where Philip baptizes the eunuch by the side of the road, I actually think that's an exception to the norm. That's just not the way they did it throughout the New Testament. That's an exception to the norm to accommodate the man going back to his country. The New Testament actually has a very rich picture of the church in baptism. Do you know in Matthew 16 and 18, and then I think later on a little bit, maybe 20, Jesus talks about this interesting thing of giving Peter the keys to the kingdom. And in that way, thereby giving the keys to the kingdom, to the the local church. What does that mean? I think it means in that context that not just Peter, but the local church in general and the leaders in the local church have some type of authority, some type of responsibility to be overseeing and admitting entrance into the kingdom through the preaching of the word. There's a responsibility there. Keys to a kingdom, a doorway, an entranceway into the kingdom. And baptism is a sign of that entrance of what's already taken place internally in a life. Apart from the local church, baptism doesn't mean anything, is what we're saying. The gathered body of believers, Jesus is in their midst. And that's why we baptize here, where where the most amount of our people can see it where the most of this local church can witness it. That's why we do it here. That's why we don't practice spontaneous baptisms. I'm not saying there isn't a place for that or that that's necessarily wrong. But if I as a pastor and our elders and ministry staff have a responsibility that someday the Lord will ask, how did you handle that? uh, Admitting those into the kingdom by being part of their baptism. Local church is making a proclamation about an individual, and that's why we have a process where they meet with me or other leaders and talk about their faith. But it's also a proclamation by the individual to the world, to the public, that they are a Christ follower. And that's why you're going to see them in just a minute up here, saying, going on the record and saying, that they are making a proclamation that I trust Jesus alone for my salvation. We're going to hear that in just a moment after our final truth. Baptism is a celebration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is to be an absolutely joyous celebration today because it is. The t-shirt they wear says, death to life. Death to life. Not just for the here and now, which it is. They are new creatures in Christ today, but it's for the future too. Your future is pictured in this baptism. 
Our future is pictured in this baptism. We will come from the grave and walk in a new heavens and earth, arm in arm with Jesus. That's the picture. And that's something to get excited about. Look down at your notes. Luke 15 there, 1510 says this there. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And we got two today. That's double the joy. (laughs) Well, here's what it means. It means that right now, right now, the courts of heaven are smiling down on Bethany Church. And the witnesses and the audience is way larger than just 100 or so people here. I think it means God himself is rejoicing. His angels are rejoicing today over Genevieve and over Noah and over the Bus family and over the Grover family. He's rejoicing over Bethany Church today. We're going to do that. Let's do this. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song to let our kids come back in here. And then I'm going to call, well, Genevieve, come up first. So would you pray with me to bless this time? Lord Jesus,